introduce our guest here, uh, Roderick Yap. He's out of the UK. He's the CEO of Leadership Forces. He's a former Royal Marines officer, fortunate enough to have led Marines on operations around the world. Some of the highlights of his career include leading 30 Royal Marines into combat on the front line in Afghanistan and the evacuation of civilians from Libya during the Arab Spring. Roderick has also led the capture of 55,000 ton MV Monte Cristo from pirate control in 2011 as part of a NATO counter piracy task force off the Somali coast. Uh, you, can, you can find out more about Roderick and you can follow him very easily inside of LinkedIn. That's the best place to catch him. We'll get all that linked up, of course, as well. And uh, with that, once again, we're going to bring back Roderick Yap. So uh, here we go. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. So it gives, gives me an opportunity to get a second, op- second crack and hopefully give you a better answer. Yeah, right. Well, hey, in the military, it's all about you don't just go out on, you don't just get a mission and go, right? You, you rehearse, you got everything in line before you head out on the mission. And so I guess we'll, we'll, we'll say that's what that was. Exactly. Um, uh, first question for you is championship leadership. What, what comes to mind for you when you hear championship leadership? What does that mean to you? So to me, it very much, it very much echoes a kind of sporting approach to leadership. Um, I think that's probably because in England, the second division, our second tier of professional football is called the championship. So that means something uh, to me over here. Um, but I think, you know, that that's kind of, that's one of the things about leadership is that if you take the sort of context out of the equation, leading people is just um, the way in which an individual behaves to get the very best out of a group of people, a you know, group of people around them. Um, and I think that it doesn't make a huge amount of difference whether you're leading a sports team, a group of soldiers or Marines in the military, 
or equally a group of accountants through a transformation program, the principles of leadership apply. They may be different in accordance with the context, but the way in which you behave, how you interact with people, and how you create a culture that gets the very best out of them, there are huge similarities um, across those kind of domains. So that's how I kind of think about it. Yeah, that's so true, right? I mean, um, I do some leadership training, of course, as well. I mean, the name of my podcast, Championship Leadership, and and uh, there are there's there's those principles or tenets or laws or whatever you want to call them, right? Of leadership, and you know, I think anyone can take those and and mold them into who they are as a leader because everybody leads a little bit differently, but but absolutely there are those principles that are just kind of the core guide points inside of leadership. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about how did you get into the leadership space? Like, yeah, just kind of give us an idea of where you came from maybe earlier on in life and how that path has led you to where you are today. Sure. So uh, my first career was as an officer in the Royal Marines. Um, I joined in 2005. When I think about kind of why, why I joined the Marines, there are a couple of sort of moments that kind of come to mind. One time when I was at school, I went to school just south of London. Um, someone said to me, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll never lose touch because we'll all see each other commuting into London uh, in the morning. And I remember having such an allergic reaction to that, that it sort of made me think, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do something really different. I always chose subjects when I was at school based on uh, how much I enjoyed them. Because I think if you enjoy something, chances are you'll be good at it. So when I looked back at what I enjoyed most when I was at university, um, it really was working with people, largely the water polo team, you know, working in a team to achieve a common aim. I I really enjoyed that. Um, I believe in service. I believe in serving my country. And so this led me to start thinking about a career in the military. And I looked at them, and if you, if you sort of take, again, if you change the context slightly, and if you look at the military just, just like any other graduate scheme, I was like, well, who's going to give me the, who's going to put me through 15 months worth of very demanding leadership and management development training? And then my first job is going to be line managing people in some of the most challenging circumstances. There was just no one else that kind of offered a development path like that. Um, so as I say, joined in 2005, served for seven years, served on the front line in our front line in Afghanistan in Helmand province, a place called Sangin in 2007, leading troop attacks uh, against the Taliban, reassuring the local population, uh, dealing with improvised explosive devices, the sort of full spectrum of warfare that I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure lots of people will be with, familiar with. I did a few other roles in the course of a sort of seven-year career, but I, I mean, you, you alluded to the highlights. I was lucky enough to get sent to uh, Libya to evacuate civilians from Benghazi when the Gaddafi regime collapsed. Um, we took HMS York alongside uh, with no real sense of what was going on on the ground. Uh, very, very fluid situation. And, and I'm sure you, you can appreciate when a ship comes alongside in a city, there's not a huge number of its weapon systems that it can use. Um, it's largely defended by the Marines on board, which was ultimately, um, ultimately my responsibility. And then towards the end of my time, I specialized in counter piracy, served a couple of tours off the coast of Somalia. Again, like really interesting environment makes you realize that, you know, huge amounts of the world is just frankly, completely ungoverned space. And I've always sort of looked back on that time and thought, do you know what, you know, I'm pretty lucky to have sort of grown up in the West and to have the advantages that kind of all of that brings. I left in 2012 for kind of three distinct reasons. One, the jobs behind me looked better than the jobs ahead of me. 
overlaid with that was the fact that I knew that the UK would pull out of Afghanistan, much like the Americans would do sooner or later. And I didn't really want to serve in any sort of peacetime military. And I decided that it was better to, it's either better to leave early um, or stay in and be a general. And I decided to take the former route rather than the latter. Not that I ever would have necessarily made it to, to becoming a general. And then lastly, the kind of the other reason I left was I, I sort of got married in my final year. Um, didn't want to be an absent parent. And so ultimately uh, left in 2012, worked in a few roles, a couple of different organizations before starting my own business, focusing on leadership development in 2015. Yeah, got it. Thank you and uh, appreciate, appreciate you uh, letting us know how you got there. And like you said, you know, the, the experiences that you had, number one, it's, you know, where we've grown up or where we, we had the opportunities to grow up do you really kind of in this large bubble or vacuum of uh, the things that we've had and been afforded and to see, to have the experiences that you've had to go to, to some other places in the world and realize that that is uh, not the way that everybody else lives, <laughs> to be able to serve in, in that way. And then, but, to, but to be able to take these experiences that you've had that very few had to be able to take back uh, to where you grew up and to apply that into all the other areas because like you said i mean just talk about how how easily it is it, i don't know I, I i think if you're open to it like you obviously are so applicable to everything else that goes on in life just like you said if whether it's a room full of accountants right um, mm -hmm. you can take the experiences you've had at such a high level under such high high uh pressure and intensity and stress at, at different moments throughout your operations uh, to be able to take that into a boardroom, right? And uh, yeah. so maybe, yeah, just talk about how that transition was, though. I mean, was it, you know, I could be very, uh, maybe uh, simplifying it a little too much. So, yeah, just talk about the transition to go from, because one thing that I do know uh, in my military experience, different than yours, but, you know, people in the military definitely do operate and think. Yeah. And they do in the business in the civilian world. And so that can be a challenge. Uh, sometimes to have to, to realize that quickly and be able to adapt to that. So yeah, I just threw a lot at you there, but let me speak to that. That's okay. I mean, the, so the transition I think is, um, I think is tough for anyone. Um, you're going from an organization that is, uh, that is so different to the sort of commercial and civilian world. I think the biggest thing that, you miss or that, um, that I guess I found difficult was a complete difference in the meaning of what the word accountability meant. I think if you ask someone to do something in the military, people assume that they do it because they're ordered to do it. And the reality is, is that, yeah, there may be an element of that, but also they want to do it because they know that you're on the same side and you're asking sort of, you know, asking for a favor or asking for something to be done in order to achieve something and the fact of the matter is is that people will it's a different sense of ownership people will say yeah i'll take that on they'll seek an understanding as to why it is you want that so that they can kind of fulfill whatever it is you want in the sort of best way i mean i remember one time i was sort of a second in command of a, of a fighting company at 42 commando uh, and i had to go and look, go to a i think it was a range for some reason and it involved going to a different part of the uk which meant I had to go across a, a sort of toll bridge. 
And, you know, the, the guy booking the hire car took the time to sort of understand what was it I wanted, where was it I was going, um, so that he could get me the right car, make sure that it had the tag so I could get across the bridge quickly without having to use my own money and then claim back for it. It's just a completely different way of thinking about the role and the system, I guess. And that's probably the biggest thing that I've kind of missed. Added to the fact that, you know, everyone in the military is, is kind of well-trained in what they do. That doesn't mean that they, they always necessarily do it to the sort of highest standards. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I think the military is reflective of any kind of, any kind of group of people, but, you know, people are well-trained. They know what it is they have to do, um, and they have a completely different sense of accountability. And I think when you lose those two things and you're going into an environment where, frankly, people might not know what they're doing um, or they, they, you know, they, they've been put into a role without any form of sort of training or development and they're, they're sinking, you know, often it's not, it's not their fault. Often it's not a sort of sense of negative intent that's driving that. It's just the fact that they have been either badly chosen or, you know, poorly trained or they're completely overloaded. None of those things tend to happen terribly much in the military. Yeah, definitely. So what was, so how, how was it as you, uh, you leave and you you decide you're going to create leadership forces? Like, how was that? Uh, how was that path been for you? Maybe talk a little bit about that. And you know, you, you're almost five years in now, and um, talk talk a little bit about the transition too, and you know, creating clients and this this uh, curriculum or whatever it is that you have that that goes out to now impact uh, people outside of the military. So I think I think the first point to know is if I if I'd known all the risks that I was taking, I probably wouldn't have done this. <laughs> um, I think you have to be a little bit kind of uh, I guess risk blind. But really simply, um, I sort of looked at the market. I kind of looked at the rates that I, I felt I could I could justify. I looked at sort of who else was out there, which in the UK tends to be a large number of kind of, uh, I guess, ex-HR professionals and quite a lot of psychologists as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing, but those are the sort of kind of big groups there. And I just felt that given my experience that I had sort of something slightly different to offer, um, I think of myself, I guess, more, of, more, more as a practitioner, I guess, than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I just had this sort of confidence that um, I, I kind of, I could do this. Um, and a sort of, you know, a, a kind of, I guess, an understanding that if I focus my attention on the right things, it would sort of start to shift the needle. And I think I did what most people do for the first sort of few months. I kind of did what I had done in my sort of corporate life. And then there comes this moment where you realize that, oh my God, I'm not selling anywhere near enough. And whilst loads of people will say that, you know, you need to kind of have a business plan and sort of all of these things. I don't think of it like that anymore. I think that when you are, when you start a business it's like being launched straight into a firefight and you have a limited number of rounds that you have to deal with whatever you're dealing with. And effectively your rounds you can think of as almost like cash. You need to deal with that problem really, really quickly. You need to get cash across the books. Don't worry too much about a sort of, you know, a grand strategy, a kind of business plan. Yeah. You need to have a sense, but bottom line, you need to get out and start talking to people saying, this is what I can do. Is this a problem that I can help you solve? If it's not, can you introduce me to someone who might have this problem? And then gradually get to this sort of point where you're kind of putting proposals together and generating work. And I just very much kind of had the back in the back of my mind, this sort of figure that I needed to bring across every month in terms of revenue. Yeah. And then almost like 
how many months would that sort of keep me alive for? And I think that was the only thing that I kind of had really that I was sort of focused on. But I would argue it was, it was kind of good enough for those sort of first few years. Yeah, so, you know, early on, I would take kind of, I'd work for other people on, an, on a sort of, you know, day rate on an associate level, little bits of contracting work here and there, if I could get it. It was more important to me to kind of be active and be busy and to be doing good work for people and building a reputation than it was to really worry about kind of focusing on an area that I was, you know, specifically or uniquely qualified for, if that makes sense. And I think that anyone that sort of stays alive for the first two to three years stands a good chance of kind of getting that kind of foothold, um, which I think I've got now, uh, and is able to sort of start growing off the back of that. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And appreciate you getting into that a bit because we have a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners and I definitely uh, can agree with you wholeheartedly on exactly what you said. A lot of people make, they might, I think they use that business plan as, as an avoidance to actually get out and have the conversations and do the work that you were just talking about. It, exactly that. And, and the thing that I very quickly realized was, you know, I'd explain what I do to people and then I'd be like, oh, they don't get it. And I was like, after a little while, I was like, that's your fault. You have failed to explain that clearly and articulate it. That's up to you. So you've got to do something different. So you've got to keep going back to these networking meetings, even though you hate them. Um, but, you know, realize that the value is in just practicing. This is what I do over and over and over again until it feels completely natural. Yeah. That's where the value is in a session like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it, it, it took time. I think one of the things I sort of focused on or one of the things I read was that it's difficult to demonstrate that you've got an interest in something unless you write about it or unless you speak about it. So I started to kind of write some articles on, you know, how do you approach delegation? Um, how, do you, how do you create a vision in your organization? What are the sort of principles behind leadership? And I just started to sort of pulse this stuff out there. And I think, I think that was quite valuable activity. Um, so kind of if, if, you, if you can't have, you know, two or three meetings in a day for whatever reason, just start writing, articulate your thoughts because your content will come off the back of that if you're in the sort of professional services business like I am. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's another great point. Absolutely, right? I mean, <laughs> if, it's, if it's what you do, you, you should be talking about it. You should be writing about it. And really, your entire message probably all about that and around that. So people start to see you as that person. Uh, that's when the things start to happen. Like, like the moment, momentum begins to happen after a few years of dedicated commitment to that. So what, um, who are a few championship level leaders that maybe have impacted your life now not necessarily is a question about who they are but more so really like what was it about them that really impacted you and maybe even there are some things that you've taken to help mold you into the leader you are so are there one or two people that come to mind that you know, coaches mentors leaders yeah so really interestingly there were I like to sort of use different things about different people to sort of go, you know, they are genuinely kind of world-class in that area. There are people that I went through training with who have sort of stayed in the military or who have gone on to sort of, you know, other things whose careers have sort of gone, gone kind of all over the place who I look back at and I'd be able to say, you know, that person's, you know, attention to detail, for example, like there's just no one I know who has the kind of same level of sort of professionalism in, in that kind of context. And these were some of the, you know, these, these guys were my peers. I worked briefly for a guy called Charlie Stickland, who went on to become the Commandant General of the Royal Marines. 
he taught me something that I've since used time and time again. It's really, really valuable. Um, he said to me, you know, one of the things that you have to do uh, when you're second in command of a company is learn to trust your intuition, trust your judgment. If you don't know why something's wrong, don't worry about that so much, but understand the fact that something is wrong. You may need to prove yourself why it's wrong further on down the line. But this kind of idea of sort of trusting your intuition, trusting your judgment is something that sort of set me up really, really well in a variety of kind of different contexts. Um, and he was an example of someone that was exceptionally, obviously kind of professional, but equally he had a really strong sort of sense of perspective. You know, if, there's, if there was sort of something that had gone wrong in a unit, you know, his first question to the regimental sergeant major might be something like, RSM, how do we unfuck this situation? Excuse yeah. my language. You know, has anyone died? No? Okay, well, it can't be that bad then. You know, that, those kind of like simple things that sort of change the way you kind of you, you think about a moment, he would be a really sort of good example of that. And my first company commander, a guy called Tony Chatin, he taught me that you're the most important thing a leader, or certainly as an officer in the Royal Marines, the most important thing you could do was look after the guys. You focus on them. You focus on helping them to improve their performance. Everything else take care, takes care of itself. And I always really remember that, you know, and I think that that's one of the things I try and do now in organizations is, is get people leading teams to understand that the customer of the leader, the person that you work for, is that team. You don't get to decide whether or not you're a good leader. Your team do, which means yeah. that you have to focus on their development and support them and challenge them to drive their performance um, because ultimately that's what shifts the needle. That's what makes the difference within an organization. I love what you just said there. It's a, uh, you, you, you don't get to choose whether you're a great leader, your team does. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think so many people, yeah. they think they're good. And I go, well, have, have you ever sat down with your team and to ask that, that question? Yeah. You know, and not many of them have. You know, if you, if you think about that like an organization, that would be, you know, someone creating a product and, and defining for themselves that they believe it's good. I'm like, no, you don't decide whether or not it's good. Your customer does. Yeah. You know, your clients do. You, you know, you've got to get inside that feedback loop. That's the same internally with your people. It's just a slightly different way of thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this, this question came to mind as I'm listening to you talk about some of the things that you've taken from other people is, what would people say about Roderick, Roderick Yap or, you know, whether that's from your military experience or what you do today, yeah, what, would, what would they say you're world-class at? <laughs> uh, uh, that's a difficult question. And of course, I'm going to fall into that trap because I would, <laughs> I would want that to be answered by someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things that... Yeah, what do you want to be world-class at? Um, I would like to be world-class at, at being highly adaptable. Like everyone, I fall into the sort of same traps in terms of my thinking, in terms of my ways of behaving. I think that great leaders are able to adapt the way in which they behave to kind of get the best out of any sort of situation. So if I were to choose kind of one leadership, I guess, superhero quality, it is exactly that. It's to be able to adapt yourself to the context and the situation in order to kind of get the best outcome, the, the best way of behaving. Uh, yeah, drive the best outcome. That would be the number one thing for me. Yeah. Talk, talk about how important 
that is and why that's important obviously in battle i can uh, we can understand why it would be so important because nothing's ever going to play out the way that you would think it's going to or that you would hope it would um but of course in life is the same exact way yeah 100% um i i just think that that you know like dealing with a firefight you know being in a firefight is a very specific way of leading okay you might you might need to come up with a plan very, very quickly and execute that plan um, and ensure that your guys follow through with what you have asked them to do, okay? But that's, that's quite an extreme example where I would argue a high level of command and control is really necessary. Um, in the civilian world, you do see that, but it's kind of rare. Often emergency services, first on the scene with an accident, they will be faced with a context or an environment where they'll need to make very, very quick decisions in order to save lives. But I think the adaptability comes from understanding that, that the world isn't like that all the time and that command and control, while an entirely applicable way of leading a group of people, actually isn't necessarily the best way most of the time. If I had any amount of time, I would always speak to my guys, speak to my corporals and my sergeants in particular and say, look, this is the problem we've got. This is the mission we've got to achieve. How do we break that down? How would you approach this? And then it's my job to make the decisions around what we do ultimately, but I'm going to canvas them for the best ideas. And I think that's an example or, or that way of thinking, that way of behaving is something that you could directly apply to a corporate or a civilian environment. You know, if you've got a leadership team, let's say you're a kind of a, a group of salesmen, for example, sit down with those guys and say, right, what is it we're all trying to achieve here? What's the end state we're working towards? What do you think it should be? What's that kind of single statement, that single mission statement that we all should be focused on? You don't have to come up with that on your own. You can ask your people and your team and gradually facilitate them to get to an end state where they're like, yeah, this is what it's all about for us. And I found that, you know, there's a, someone said this to me and I've used it a lot. You know, people nurse what they birth. If your team take, if your team feel uh, that they were part of the creation of your mission statement, they are far more likely to deliver it, to deliver it because they feel a higher level of accountability because ultimately it's, it's their plan as well. It's their mission statement. Yeah. So yeah, that's something that I found really useful. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible too. Uh, you nurse with your birth. I love it. And so, yeah, there's this, there's this uh, team buy-in, right? Like the ownership. Yeah. What is, uh, think back to a moment where, I would call them like a critical moment, a defining moment, a turning point, whatever you want to look at it. I think we, we all have these, you know, some say that we may have these daily, depending on the perspective that you have, but a real critical moment, kind of that fork in the road moment where had you decided to choose differently, you'd be in a very different place today, but because you had the courage, I think championship leader have a vision, like they can see themselves in this moment and they can kind of almost see what's going to, how it's going to lay out depending on which decision they make. Um, and they have the courage to make the decision that they really feel like is the right one for them or for the team or for, for those that are following them. Is there a moment that comes to mind for you that you could share that, that uh, was very pivotal, pivotal in, in who you are today? Yeah, I think, I think it would be, I think it was probably the moment I told my mother that I was going to join the Marines. <laughs> um, I think, my father was like, you know, he was in the foreign office, diplomatic service. He was, uh, you know, he'd spent his entire career in service of, of, of the public. 
But I think that she found that sort of quite difficult to sort of get her head around. And gradually, what I found was once I'd sort of told her that and I'd kind of started to sort of focus my attention on this thing, once I'd told other people, I, it kind of, you know, I believe in being a person of your word. I believe in that kind of sense of integrity. I then had to sort of go away and make it happen. And that kind of sort of set in path a kind of, I guess, a chain of events that saw me end up in the Marines. And I still remember kind of getting the letter through going, you've been selected for a commission in the Royal Marines and thinking, oh, now I've told everyone I'm going to do this and I kind of have to follow through. Um, And I remember being sort of taken down to training and I remember thinking, you know, this kind of, there's kind of two ways out of this for me. They're either going to kick me out because I'm not good enough or I'm going to get injured and then get booted out but there's no way I'm going to give up. There's no way I'm going to turn around and say, yeah, it wasn't for me because I knew I'd be lying to myself. And I think everyone who I told up until that point that this was what I was going to do would have known that I'd have been lying to myself as well. And I wasn't willing to do that. So that sort of level of kind of social pressure kept me in, but it all started from the moment that I told my mum that I was going to join. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Appreciate you sharing that. What is, what is the big vision for you uh, moving forward? You know, maybe just near future, long, long term, whatever, whatever that looks like for you. The vision and, or, and or the, you know, what kind of impact do you want to make? Sure. So, I mean, I, I, I consider the impact I'm having, I'm, I'm entirely sort of happy with that. Um, the reason being is because, you know, if I work with one leader and make a slight difference to their performance, a slight difference to the way they behave that doesn't have a knock-on effect just to their team that has a knock-on effect to whoever they lead through the course of their careers and whilst I can't go into sort of too much detail now I know that some of the conversations I've had with people have saved their jobs or the jobs of others because I've got them to think about things kind of differently or I've got them to I've, I've been able to help them performance manage an individual um, and make a real significant shift in the way that individual's performing. Where do I want to be or what's the kind of vision? Really simply, I think that I still think in the UK there is an opportunity for someone to take the principles of how the military works out into the sort of corporate world. If I was to say something like the British Jocko Willink, you'd kind of know the direction I was going although I don't look anything like him <laughs> and I'm not really into jujitsu or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But I think he very, very well articulates how teams can work better just yeah. using a fraction of what's been learned in combat. And I think there is an opportunity to occupy that space here. And that's what I'm going to try and do in the next sort of five years. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you mentioned him because I, he definitely came to mind throughout this conversation. So, <laughs> well, that's good. That means I can't be too far away from yeah, absolutely what I'm going for. Um, so yeah, so you so you are going to be that person. Is that obviously that's what I hear you saying? It is, and you know, when I look at like I try and deconstruct these people that have sort of been very successful in various domains. There's generally a kind of a, a sort of path that they've used, and normally it, it starts with writing a book. So I'm writing my first book this year i'm doing it with someone else kind of um i guess it's the closest thing that i've got to a sort of business partner we've basically been having a sort of series of conversations working on a a, a sort of a leadership model with a, a number of clients and we think that there is 
there is enough there that is unique and different to get down on paper and we'll see where it goes. But that's really sort of what I want to kind of do in, I guess, the short term in the next 12, 18 months is get something published because then people know about you, they know about your ideas. And I think I, think I can use that as a bit of a platform to, to sort of shift things to the next level. Yeah, 100%, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. So, so you're in the beginning stages of doing that with the book? Yes, yeah, so I would say that the, the concepts are already put together. It's just a question of writing it down. And the way I want to do it is I want to sort of tell some stories that really kind of highlight the points. So it's all about kind of leadership, as you'd expect, but it's all about uh, spectrums of behavior. So um, example I just used there was sort of, I talked briefly about kind of command and control. Well, me holding tight command and, and making the decisions is one form of leading a group of team, a group of people. But on the other end is kind of empowering them. Now, most of the time, I would argue that you want to empower people. You want to push decision-making down. Yeah. But you can sort of start to see there's a sort of spectrum of behavior there. Yeah. There's a spectrum where, depending on the context, me making the decisions is an appropriate way of behaving to get the best outcome. But yeah. most of the time, you sort of want to empower people. And I read a really good story that talked about NASA recently, which talked about data-based decision-making. And I think when I think about what's the other end of the spectrum from data-based decision-making, you know, it's trusting your intuition. So how do I sort of communicate that? Because a large part of the Challenger disaster revolved around the fact that the engineers knew something wasn't wrong. Sorry, they knew something wasn't quite right, but they couldn't prove it. Mm -hmm. So how do you create the space for database decision-making, but also when someone goes, look, I, I can't prove that this isn't going to work because I don't know, but I just don't feel, it doesn't feel right. How do you create the space for that kind of conversation with your, in your organization? And I think that, you know, the challenger example and, and some of the stories from my background kind of that, that highlight those things, uh, I think would be really, really helpful to people because I think so many people offer very sort of simplistic models for leadership. You know, it's about being authentic and being courageous and being responsible and empowering people. And I'm like, no, I I disagree. I think, I think you need to think more broadly about different ways of behaving, different spectrums of behavior, and then choose a behavior that gets the best outcome. um, However you choose to define that outcome. Uh, So that's kind of what I'm working on at the moment. Yeah. Got it. Love it. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. I appreciate you being here today and taking some time with us and, and, uh, you know, going through a little rehearsal before we actually got rolling uh, for real. <laughs> and, uh, no worries. Pleasure to yeah. talk to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, before I do close it out, just want to ask, like, what would be one or two things that you could leave with the listeners today that they did implement it into their life right now, like today, they can move themselves forward today? Okay. So if you're in a leadership position, go and ask your team, how do I set you up for success? One really, really simple question. You may need to sort of shape that slightly. You may need to say, you know, something along the lines of, you know, I was listening to this podcast and yada, yada, yada. Um, But, you know, something along the lines of how do I set you up for success? Because ultimately that's the most important part of your job. And the second thing I would say is, is kind of get to know your people. You can't lead someone if you don't understand them. Take the time to get to know them by asking them about their background, asking about their sort of personal history. What did they do before they came into this role or wherever they wherever they are where did they go to school where did they go to university where did they grow up what did their parents do what do they think they're good at what are their strengths what are their weaknesses 
and where do they want to be in the future? What's the sort of long-term plan and, and how can you play a small part in helping them get there? You start to have those conversations with people and you'll start to uh, drive a different, a, a different relationship into your, you'll start to have a very different relationship with your team. And really that's, that's all I, I want to support people to do ultimately. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, anything else? Any, any, uh, any other ways that we can follow you? I know I mentioned LinkedIn uh, in the beginning at the top. But. So yeah, LinkedIn is general. I mean, my name is unique enough that you can pretty much track me down on social media. Um, LinkedIn is generally the place that I communicate. I'm an open connector. So feel free to just drop me a connection request and I'll, I'll always accept. And then, you know, I frequently, I try and write an article once every three weeks as I say, you know, I, I know the value of discipline, but, you know, from time to time, sort of work and a young family get in the way. But that's really sort of where I articulate my ideas. My website is leadershipforces.com. So there's plenty of sort of evergreen content on there um, that people might find helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great. We'll get all that linked up. And I uh, just appreciate you taking some time across, across the, the pond, as they say, and, uh, and, and to be here with us today. So thank you, Robert. Thanks, Nate. Cheers. Let's go. Let's go. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't all right. I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera, I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable. From my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years. Of marriage, it's never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for. I'm gonna be a leader, I'ma lead the way, cause I'm a firm believer. We can do anything we want. If I said it, then I meant it, I probably already did it. Consider it done. Consider it done. If you need some inspiration, you should play this championship leadership podcast. Hey, baby.